maturity. Maturity maybe is one of those words that we don't often talk to, talk about. Maturity is a matter of development. And it's the same for spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a matter of developing and living spiritual disciplines and being dependent upon God. One of the questions we often have when we meet someone, well, maybe you meet someone, you wonder, how old are they, right? How old is this person? Uh, it's an okay question in and of itself, but when it comes to maturity, age does not necessarily denote maturity. So if I'm looking at a person that may be in age older, it doesn't necessarily equate. It doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. Age and maturity don't necessarily go hand in hand. Adding on years to your numerical age does not make you more mature. And it, adding on age or time since you gave your life to Christ doesn't automatically add on spiritual maturity. Okay? And, uh, and so what's true for uh, regular maturity is the same for spiritual maturity. Just because years have passed since I became a Christian doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't necessarily equate to that I've become mature in Christ, that I've moved in my life towards maturity. Maturity in Christ takes place when we make a conscious decision to follow hard after the Lord, to follow after the Lord with all of our heart, to love him with everything that we've got. And, and to have that kind of thing in our heart and our life that would echo what the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And so the question is, is what does your soul long for? Is it something else? Is it something else that, that you, you still haven't found what you're looking for, so to speak? Or is your soul long for the living God? Yes, we had friends uh, years ago, this is kind of an old story, but... Uh, friend of mine uh, told the story of someone that stood up in their church and it was kind of a, kind of a casual setting and we were asking for a response from the crowd and uh, somebody stood up and said, you know, I've been going to this church for 20 years, but I've just, I haven't grown in my relationship with the Lord. And I just realized tonight that I want to, I want to go deeper with Christ. I want to move towards maturity in Christ. Since you believed upon Jesus, some significant and profound things have happened in your life. You've come into the kingdom of God. You've come in from the kingdom of darkness into light. You've come from death into life. And because of that, there's been some resulting uh, things that have come about in your life too. You have the love of God in your life now. And that's a big deal. We may seem to say that that might be something simple. Oh, you have the love of God. No, but the agape of God, the love of God is, is powerful. It's a significant thing. And because you have the love of God, you have some other things happening in your life too. You have fruit. The, the call of the Christian is, you know, Jesus said, I've called you to bear fruit, that you would have fruit and that you would bear much fruit and that it would be fruit that would remain. So God wants us to be, you know, he doesn't want us to be like that little sapling tree. Like, you know, you go up to Home Depot and you say, I'm going to buy a tree. 
and maybe it's an orange tree. You're going to buy an orange tree, and you're like, I want to buy one that already has some oranges on it. And then you look at those, and you're like, oh, well, those are too much money. Where's the starter ones, right? <laughs> you know, so you get like the little $29.99 one, and like one day this thing's going to have some oranges on it. All right? That's great. God doesn't want us to stay that $29.99 tree. He wants us to grow towards where we have fruit, where we have grown towards maturity in him. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this. Paul gives us some keys as he continues in this first chapter. He gives us some keys to moving towards maturity in him. And it, they come in the context of, of his prayers for the believers. So he tells them, I'm praying for you. But as he's praying for you, it's kind of like he's outlining these things, these things that he's praying for them. They, they're really keys that, are, that, that he's praying that would be present in the believer's life. And if these things are present in the believer's life, that person is going to be moving towards maturity in Christ. And of course, that's what his desire is. Paul prays for the Colossian believers and gives us four keys to moving toward Christian maturity. And they are these, if you're taking notes tonight, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we would walk worthy of the Lord. Number two, number three, that we would be strengthened with his might. And number four, that we would give thanks always. So these are four keys to moving towards and entering into maturity in Christ. So uh, let's go to the text here, Colossians 1, verse 9. Be filled with the knowledge of his will. Colossians 1, verse 9, it says this, For this reason we also, since, we, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul tells them that he is praying for them, that he mentions that he's been praying for them. And this prayer, again, as we look at it, the prayers that he prays for them, I believe are keys to, to, for us, for the Colossians and for us tonight. Because this word, this letter of the Colossians has been preserved for us. Uh, and so here we are tonight reading it. And this letter, this prayer these are keys for us as well. And Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What you had going on in Colossae, in this town, in this city, and it was kind of uh, perhaps penetrating into the body of believers, you had some false teaching. And there will always be false teaching. If there's, if there's correct teaching, if there's proper teaching, there will always be false teaching. And the false teaching is always around. It's in every city, and you have to guard against it. And the best way to guard against false teaching is to know what the correct teaching is. Amen? It's the same thing for, I guess, the FBI when they, when they train uh, people that are going to be dealing in currencies and things. They, they, they study the actual real currency, and so they know what the real currency looks like so that they can spot a fake a mile away. And it's the same thing for doctrine in Christ. If we have the real thing, we'll be able to say, hmm, you know what? That's, that doesn't sit well. That doesn't sound correct. And so, uh, so we, we need to look at this. So we had, there was false teaching 
uh, that came from the pagans. The pagan teaching emphasized self-denial, the worship of angels, and it was like a mystical uh, wisdom. In the trailer, the fun trailer that we put together for the series, you see I said I put the word early Gnostic or early Gnosticism uh, because, you know, I mentioned last week that there are some that have come out uh, in the last 100 years, 100, maybe 125, 150 years, um, some progressive commentators that have said, oh, you know, Paul couldn't have written Colossians because he deals with this Gnosticism that would have developed later uh, past the time that he would have been alive. But there were the, the, the seeds, the seedlings uh, of the early Gnosticism that were present certainly in Paul's time. And, uh, and, and it dealt with this uh, secret knowledge, this uh, worship of angels, the, the, the spirit realm, if you will. Uh, and so Gnosticism is it's, it's a word that means knowledge. Gnostic is knowledge or to know to know something, and so Gnosticism emphasized the supremacy of knowledge. So if you look at the book of Colossians, really you want to break it down, Gnosticism emphasized the supremacy of knowledge. Paul is going to combat that and and present Christ as that which is supreme, the supremacy of Christ, not the supremacy of this secret knowledge that, that is out there that you can find. So you had this knowledge, and this knowledge was attained through uh, the astrology of the time uh, and this mystical magic. And when you say magic today, uh, it's kind of like laughed off, like, oh, ho, ho, like David Copperfield or something in, in Vegas. No, 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 no. Like the, the, the dark magic, the black magic, you look into the mystics in this thing, and, and it was very, you get into like stuff like Jewish Kabbalah and stuff like that. This is what we're talking about, okay? So you had other Gnosticism, and, re- and Paul's response here is to the early threads of this Gnosticism. I want to give you just a, a, little bit of a, a, a little bit more of a background in Gnosticism, and we won't be doing this every week, but I want to give it to you here so that you have this uh, in, in your mind as we go through the rest of the book, because from here, he's going to begin to lay out the supremacy of Christ, right? So, so he's got to deal with this. So Gnosticism, or even early Gnosticism, had some basic tenets to it. All, all matter is evil. And when I say matter, I mean the physical world. Um, you had this creeping into the Corinthian church to the point where you had uh, false teachers telling people that even though they were married, they weren't supposed to have sex. And that's why in the middle of the book of Corinthians, in chapter 7, Paul has to say, no, if you're married... It's okay, okay, you know? Give unto your spouse the due benevolence due to them. That's how he says it in the, well, that's how it says in the King James. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is what Paul's dealing with in this time. So all matter is evil, and, and uh, the non-material, the spiritual realm is good because this is the realm of, of the gods, of the, 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 the realm of the angels, Okay. There is, there is an unknowable God who gave rise to many lesser spirit beings called aeons. One evil, lower spirit being is the creator who made the universe. Gnosticism does not deal with really sin, only ignorance and bringing you into kind of a higher level, a higher understanding. 
And to achieve salvation, one needs to get in touch with this secret knowledge to kind of become in the know, so to speak. So you had all this other knowledge that was being taught and that was around, and it was a distraction from what the Colossian Christians needed. It wasn't that they couldn't know it. I don't think Paul would ever, I don't think Paul ever says, like, you know, don't know it. I don't think uh, there's, there's an admonition that we're not to, to know what other people believe, what other false teaching is. We need to know what false teachings. I, I'm, certainly the FBI knows what the, 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 the real dollar looks like, but I'm sure they study the, false, the fake ones too. They know the printers and all the different ways that, that, that people are, are counterfeiting this thing. So, they're, so they're, they're, they're well studied in what a real dollar is, but they're well studied too in, in a fake one as well. And so I don't think that Paul would say that they weren't to know this or weren't to be aware of it, but it was a distraction this false teaching. And of course, they were younger believers and they had to be brought along towards maturity. So Paul was praying for these believers that they would be filled not with this other secret knowledge and this distraction, but they would be filled with God's knowledge. I pray that you would be filled with God's knowledge. God's prayer for you tonight, God's prayer for me tonight Man, we may be studying all kinds of stuff. We may be into, you know, there's all kinds of stuff to study, right? There's, a, there's an ology of everything, right? But God wants us to have, to be filled with his knowledge, to be filled up with his knowledge. He prays that we would be full of the knowledge of God's will. The word filled up here in the Greek is a word that means to make full, to fill up, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally. And pretty much everywhere where I've come to in the Bible where, where there's this idea of being filled up with something, it, the, it's presented in a way of, of not just kind of barely getting it to the top or, or like, you know, when you're getting your soda at the Circle K, you know, and you want to get it filled up as close to the top as you can, but not too much to where when you put your lid on it, then, then it comes through the top, and then you gotta spend an extra five minutes with all these napkins kind of sopping that up, and it's a whole long, drawn-out thing. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you, you feel me. This is a problem. So there's a real art. There's a real art to getting that, that volume just barely below the lip so that you can put the lid on, okay? That's not what God's talking about here, okay? When God talks about being filled up with something, he's talking about be, being filled up to overflowing. He's talking about abounding in it, okay? And so he wants us to abound in the love of God. He wants us to abound in his spirit. He wants us to be filled up to overflowing in the power of God. He wants us to be filled up to overflowing, abounding in the knowledge of God and of the knowledge of of the will of God. And so Paul prays that they would be full of the knowledge of God's will, not some secret knowledge available to a select few. The knowledge of God's will is available to all who believe. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of God's will is available to all who believe. The, the knowledge of God's will comes from wisdom and understanding. 
This is how Paul put it to the church in Rome. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you're going to be very familiar with this verse. Romans 12, verse 2, he told the Romans, he said, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so he doesn't want you to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to maybe the secret knowledge or to the, the pattern of the world that, hey, we, the world wants you to do this or, or do that or have this priority or that priority. No, don't be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation of your mind and the renewing of it comes through the word of God. The word of God is that which refreshes and, and wipes away and cleanses us, okay? So when you have sin and God comes in to your life and you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he forgives us. And uh, so you have this, the sin dealt with, the sin in the Old Testament was dealt with at the bronze altar. But then the priest would go to the next station, which was the brazen laver. And uh, when, whenever the priest would make uh, the, the, the atoning sacrifices and all that, it was a bloody mess, right? It was, there was a sacrifice of animals. And so then they would go to the brazen laver. They would have the special pitchers. They would take water out of the brazen laver. They would refresh themselves at the brazen laver. That's why when Paul tells husbands in chapter 5 of Ephesians to, how to, to um, love your wives, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and, 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 and this washing of the water with the word, Right, And so there, this is the imagery, this is the idea that Paul is, is playing on, is relating to, that the water of the, there's, a, there's the aspect of the water of the word, and it has a renewing and a refreshing aspect to it. Okay, So you may be forgiven of your sins and totally forgiven, but you also need to be renewed and refreshed with the washing of the water of the word. And that's what Jesus is doing with each and every one of us. And that's why it's so important that we be filled up with the knowledge of God, but also that we're filled up with the knowledge of God's will. And the question, and this is the age-old question for Christians, how do you know the will of God? How do you know what it is, is the will of God for your life? And you know, I mean, I've grown in the ch up in the church, okay? I, I, um, and there's, there's some of us that have this testimony, right, of our testimony is that we're, we're church people, we're church kids. We're, you know, I, I tell everybody, look, I've been going to church nine months in utero and 48 more years, okay? And so I, I've, I've done some church, okay? I've done some church in my lifetime. And uh, so... But, you know, what, what, what point was I making? The will of God, yeah. I'm like talking about church, and I'm like, what in the world? Oh, man. Yeah, well, I said I was 48 years old, and that's when I lost it right there. You know? <laughs> lost your train of thought. Oh, don't, don't, don't be smug, you 20-somethings and 30-somethings. What happened to you? Put Romans 12, 2 back up there. He says, and do not be conformed to, the, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So there's a way to know the will of God, and it comes through, first, the verse that's right in front of that is where Paul says, in view of God's mercies, brothers, I urge you to give yourself to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Right? So if you want to know what the will of God is, here's, the, here's the, the, the portion of Scripture that tells us how we can attain to the will of God. Give yourself, every bit of yourself, put yourself on the altar, give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is your reasonable, logical worship in view of everything that God's done for you, and then don't be any more conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to know what is the good, perfect, and pleasing will of the Lord. How is that? Because when you do those things, and you wake up every day to do those things, that the will of God begins to become clear in your life. The will of God becomes evident. It becomes, uh, those steps become ordered and you begin to follow those things. You begin to pray, and God begins to open up the, the right door for you, and it becomes clear. And the, the door that he, he's closing, uh, or, or maybe he doesn't close it, but it's over there, and you say, no, that's not it. And those doors and those steps become very clear. And so we, we abound. We're filled up with the knowledge of God and of his will. Amen? And also just... I think there's also, too, a hint of just having the knowledge of what in the world God's trying to do in this whole world anyways. I mean, we, have a, we, have, we wake up every day with an agenda. We've got all kinds of stuff to do, and then that, that calendar is going to be filled up with all kinds of other things. Other things are going to come in, maybe distractions, time wasters, you know, all that type of stuff. But God has a, an agenda, <laughs> right? God has a will that he's, he has got a plan that he's working. And that is gathering for himself a people from the four corners of the globe, from the four corners of the world. And he's gathering people to himself into a family of God to be united together in Christ Jesus. Amen? So part of maturing in Christian, in Christian thought and Christian life is actually having, being filled up with that knowledge as well. And, and, and when that knowledge begins to inform your, your worldview and the way you're looking at things, um, it, it's, you're moving more and more towards maturity. So Paul prays that they would be filled up with the knowledge of God's of knowledge of God and God's will. Secondly, the key to moving towards maturity, walk worthy of the Lord. Let's go back to the text, verse 10. He says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The next key that will move you toward maturity is that you would walk worthy of the Lord. We are encouraged throughout the Bible to walk worthy of the Lord, to walk worthy of the gospel. But what does it mean? What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? 
Paul uses this imagery of a relationship with God, that it is a walk. And whoever it is that wrote the book of Hebrews says that it's a race, that there's a race that is set, set before us. And the Old Testament certainly presents this idea of pilgrimage, that the, the person, the true worshiper of God is on pilgrimage. And Abraham understood this. Read Psalm 84 and the heart of the true worshiper and knowing what it means to be on pilgrimage toward Zion. Okay, And this is the idea of the Christian walk. So, But how do we walk worthy? We're walking with the Lord. We're running the race that's been set before us. But how do we walk worthy? We should walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. The word for worthy is here in the Greek is actually a word axios. Uh, and it's, where we, it's actually where we get our word axis, okay? And it, you know what an axis is. It's kind of like, you know, the axis point or the fulcrum point. And, 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 and you begin to kind of get this idea because that's where, that's where the balance would begin to take place, right? An, another word that really kind of brings this into focus is the word balance. The English word balance, uh, to describe what Paul is talking about, uh, I think really makes this clear. What is a balance? A balance is a weighing device. Whenever you, talk, whenever you want to talk about salvation, a lot of people have this idea of scales, right? Um, where, there's, where there's scales and there's a balance and there's a pan on this side and a pan on this side and somehow you've got to kind of balance out the scales, right? You've got your bad deeds on this side, and you've got to fill up the other pan over here with good deeds. And so, 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 so if you bring it into balance, okay, good. Or maybe you outweigh that balance of the bad things with good things, then you're okay. Ding, 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 ding. You just tipped it up over, you know, welcome into heaven, you know. The idea of walking worthy of the calling has nothing to do with balancing out our sins with good works. It has to do with walking worthy of what God has done in our lives and the calling that we have in him. If you want to use an analogy, this is a better analogy. One side of the pan is filled up with every single thing that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. That he came into this world and lived a perfect life. He walked this world sinlessly and then he went to a cross and died on that cross for you. He became a sacrifice for your sin, and he rose again on the third day, and now we're called into to be a part of him, to, to be saved through him, according to the salvation that he offers, and then walking worthy would then walk, be walking worthy of the amazing things that Christ has done for us, and bringing our life into balance with what Christ has done for us. And so, Christian, the good works that God's called you to aren't to earn salvation. They are a response, a direct response to the grace and love of God that he's already filled up this side of the scale. So bringing it into balance or walking worthy or axios or whatever, however, you, however you want to communicate it is simply walking in a balance with the good things and the love of God that he has poured out into your life in such an amazing fashion. And, and I think that that's a powerful, a powerful thought. A powerful thought. 
One of the verses of scripture that you're familiar with is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'll have it on the screen for you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. What's that? Okay, so we're his workmanship. He, he did an amazing work on you when he saved you, right? I mean, when you were born again, which is a Jesus terminology, right? Born from above. When you became born into the kingdom, God did a, an amazing thing. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So once you became a new creation, you became this project of the Lord. Really, Paul uses the word poema in the Greek. It's actually the word that's translated here, workmanship. For we are his workmanship. It's actually where we get the word for poem. Okay? So you're not some... Have you ever tried to write a poem? Go home tonight and try to write a poem, not a haiku. Because <laughs> you can write those real quick. You can write a few of those on the way home in the car. But write like a limerick or something like that. Okay? And, 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 and what, you, what you begin to understand is that you have to have... Um, you have to know all the, the you know, I, you know, the pentameters and, and, and all this. I remember the, just coming back to me, the iambic pentameter, right? Come on, teachers, come on, give me some props. I, the iambic pentameter, right? So anyways, the point I'm making is a poem is a creation, is a literary work that is a thoughtful work of a creator who puts words and organizes them in a beautiful way to, 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 to say something, to portray something. And what we are is God's poema, we're his workmanship, and he's done an, a beautiful thing in our life. And, and, and then we realize that, wow, he's done this incredible thing because before the foundation of the world, he foreknew that we would be with him and that he ordained at that time that we would walk in good works that he has established for us to walk in. And so Christian... Moving towards maturity is learning how to walk worthy of the Lord, bringing up the balance in agreement with the calling, with the love, with the grace of God that he has poured out into our life. Much more to be said there, but let's move on. Number three, be strengthened with his might. The third key of moving towards maturity is being strengthened with his might. Let's go back to the text. Verse 11 he says this, and strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So these are all, again, these are all prayers of Paul for the Colossian believers. And I believe that they are keys that will bring the, that, that will move the Christian towards maturity. Amen? This, this third one, be strengthened with his might. Paul continues his prayer that you would be strengthened with his might. This is a move toward maturity and that when we rely on being strengthened with his might, we move away from de de depending upon our might. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. And part of moving toward Christian maturity is realizing that and realizing that every day I've got to be strengthened with his might to even remotely do this whole thing. Because it's through the power of God. We need the power of God in our lives. And as Christians, we have access to that power. 
Jesus put it this way when he was talking to the disciples right before he ascended into heaven. In chapter 1 of Acts, he said this. You'll see it on the screen. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen, Christian? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. Remember that word, that preposition upon. Okay? Circle that. We'll come back to that. You will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. The word witnesses there is actually the Greek word martis. And it's actually where we get the word for martyr. And when, when, if I said the word martyr, what do you think of? You think of someone who has died for a cause, the cause that they believed in. The word actually connotates the idea of someone willing to live for the cause that they believe in, even unto death. And so it's about living in a certain way, not dying in a certain way. It's about being his witnesses, living in such a way, because God has done an incredible thing in your life, and, and his, he's come upon you in his power by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yes. That's good stuff. You need to remember that. Now, remember I told you to remember that preposition upon. There's a threefold relationship that the Holy Spirit has with human beings. Threefold relationship that is represented by three Greek prepositions. Para, epi, and uh, para, en, en, and epi. The first one, para, means alongside, okay? The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one parakletos, called alongside, okay? So the, 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 the Holy Spirit comes alongside the non-believer, to do a specific work in their life. And this is where resisting the work of the Holy Spirit is blaspheming the Holy Spirit because if you don't let the paraclete do his job by definition, which is to bring you to a place of convincing you of your sin and convincing you of your need of a Savior, then you've effectively blasphemed the Holy Spirit. But this is... This is Jesus giving the job description of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I will depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to the Father, and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Spirit has a job to come alongside, to convict and to convince. We don't like the word convict. They say, you convict, bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? We don't, we don't like that. He wants, to bring the, he wants to bring a convincing case to your mind and heart yeah. Yeah. that you need him, okay? That's para, alongside. N, E-N, that's what happens when, we, when the Spirit comes in us, right? He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He, the, the Spirit comes in us. We're filled with the Spirit, or, or the Spirit comes in us. 
The moment you open up your heart and life to, to Jesus Christ, he, he makes a home inside of you. And then there seems to be this epi relationship. Put Acts 1 8 back up on there. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon. That upon there is a Greek word epi, and it is this third uh, relationship that Jesus is talking about here. Epi means upon or over, or overflowing upon. Now, I have to use this example because every time I've taught this, I use this example, and I, I love telling this. I love teaching this. this so it's fun, okay? So, Niagara Falls. Who's been there? Raise your hand. Niagara Falls. Pretty, pretty nice place to visit in the summer, okay? <laughs> Don't, go in there. Don't go there to Niagara Falls in January. Awesome trip probably somewhere between May and like October probably, okay? Um, anytime after that, in between those times, you're on your own, okay? All right. It's time for dinner. <laughs> I just set the mood lighting. Um, so when you go to Niagara Falls, one of the things I want to tell you to do, did you put that picture of Niagara Falls up there? Yeah, Niagara Falls. Yeah, put that, yeah, yeah, Niagara Falls. Keep that up. Okay, so when you go to Niagara Falls, one of the things that you can do, and now, now they've got this, um, what do they call that with, when you're on the cable? Zip lining? You can zip line down in front of the falls. That is nuts. Who would do that? Who? There, there's some people who would do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I could maybe be talked into it. Tammy, you've done it? You would do it. Okay. All right. All right, cool, cool. Zip line in front of the falls, um, which you can do. The, if you're not, if you're not going to do the zip lining, look, look, this is a little less, this is a little less uh, <laughs> scary. You go over to the New York side and you go to Goat Island, okay? Go to Goat Island and go to a place, go to a, an attraction called Cave of the Winds. You'll go down into the island and you'll take an elevator down into like the, the island and you'll come out at the, in the base of the gorge and in the summertime, what they do is they set up all these, uh, this intricate boardwalk where you walk out in front, uh, put the, go to the next picture. Okay, so this is what they do in the summertime. They put all this boardwalk up in front of the falls and then... Uh, so you can literally, they give you, they give you rain, um, you know, the, the hoodie, the, the whole thing, the, 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 the poncho or whatever you want to call it, and the little booties, these little slippers and stuff. And, um, and I, I think they give you like a pair of like throwaway like flip-flops or something like this, say Niagara Falls on them. Um, and I was actually getting gas in Orlando like one day, and I said, believe it or not, I saw a guy with those flip-flops on. <laughs> and I'm like, who is still wearing these flip-flops from the falls? Anyways. Um, so you can go up on here. So you go up all on, onto this decking. Now, there's one last deck where you can go up where it literally, the falls pours out directly onto this deck, and it's called the hurricane deck, okay? And this is, this is just a blast. And go to the, go to the last uh, picture there. And you go, and you're literally directly underneath the falls, Niagara Falls, and you, and you feel like, oh, wow, this is cool. I got Niagara Falls just coming down upon me. I think this is a good example of what Jesus is talking about, of the Spirit of God coming up on, side, up, upon, upon you, because he's 
he's coming upon you in such a way that it's not just like this little kind of this little sprinkling. It's it's the hurricane deck. It's like you're literally drenched from head to toe, and the water is just pounding down on you. And not pounding in such a way that you're getting hurt, but in a fun way. Okay? And this is what the Lord wants to do. He wants to come upon you in power so that you will be strengthened with his might. Because you need to be strengthened with his might to live the Christian life. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, right? He said, be strengthened in his might, in the power of his might. You know, putting on the, the whole armor of God, but be strengthened in his might. Here he's telling the Colossians, be strengthened in his might. This is what's going to move you towards maturity, Christian, learning, knowing that you need the power of God in your life. That you need the power of God. And lastly, giving thanks always. Let's go back to the text, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Giving thanks always. The last key that will move you towards maturity in Christ is learning to give thanks always. Learning to be a thankful person and learning to give thanks to the Lord. Learning to give thanks in every situation. That doesn't mean you, you, you don't necessarily thank God for the flat tire, but you thank God in the event, in whatever event, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. You know, I don't know why I might be delayed today. I don't know why I might have something that I want to do and that I have on the calendar and that I have set out to accomplish upon a certain date. And for whatever reason, that date is not fulfilled and it's backed up. And how many of us can testify and have a, have a personal testimony of something where there was some type of a delay, something happened, and it came about and was revealed to us that, that as it came into being, that it was exactly at the right time that it needed to happen. It was ex exactly at the right time where, you know, God didn't want you to have that house, but he wanted you to have this house. That he wanted you to meet this person and do this thing with this person and not at this time. And so we've got to realize, giving thanks always. Giving thanks always. You want to be a thankful person. A, a person of, of, of thankfulness, of gratitude. It's really, be, it's really knowing what it really means to be a worshiper. The, the person who's moving towards maturity in Christ is learning, is a thankful person, is a person of gratitude, is a worshiper. It's kind of like the idea of the ten lepers. You remember the ten lepers? Jesus healed ten lepers. One of them came back and gave thanks. One out of ten. Be that ten. Be that number ten guy that came back and gave thanks. Right? Giving thanks. We need to thank him and praise him for all he's done. Paul then lists the things that God has done for us by saving us. He made us inheritance. He made us heirs of an inheritance. God's people inherited, inherited a land in the Old Testament. And God has made us heirs of an inheritance. Whoa, 
we, 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 eyes, we haven't seen it. We don't even know what God has in store for us. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. He's made us heirs. Look at this, and I want to call attention to one thing real quick, just in the middle of there. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Remember I talked about the word saints, the hagioi, and it's the idea of the holy ones. In the Old Testament, it's the idea of the holy ones of the host of heaven. The host of heaven that, that, that rejoiced, that shouted for joy when God laid the foundation of the world in Job, right? So, there, there, so God had a heavenly host that was on hand. And then when he created the world, he created the earth, he made man, he made man and he made them male and female, and he put them in the earth as, the, as his image in the earth to populate human beings as his image upon the earth so that one day they would be partakers of the saints of light. So that's what our destiny is, and this is what we have to give thanks for. And if you begin to be filled with the knowledge of God, you can begin to wrap your mind around this. This is how you're going to move towards maturity and, and move forward in Christ. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is all the things that God has done for us. He has redeemed us through His blood and forgiven our sins. And now we're going to go to the table of the Lord and remember what He did for us in, in redeeming us, in redeeming us through His blood and forgiving our sins.